This evening we're looking at Psalm 22 verses 4 through to verse 8. Last week we started looking at Psalm 22, a psalm written by David and which is about the suffering and then the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ some 1,000 years after this psalm was written. Obviously it's a, that makes it a, a messianic psalm. Looking at the first three verses, we consider Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, crying out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At a time when it pleased his father to bruise him and to lay upon him the collective iniquity of all the redeemed throughout the ages. All the iniquity of the redeemed was laid upon Jesus by his father. As we continue to look at Psalm 22, we come to verses 4 through to 8. We're looking at 4 through to 8 tonight, but first of all, I want to look with you at verses 4 and 5. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. With regards to his humanity, Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and he was born of the tribe of Judah and of the house of David, according to his humanity. All of that can be clearly seen in various passages in the New Testament, including the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, which starts with the words, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. As such, Jesus included himself when in Psalm, uh, when rather in verse 4 there, he said to his God, our fathers trusted in thee. Our fathers, he includes himself in that. When Jesus said, our fathers trusted in thee and thou didst deliver them, he was saying that the patriarchs of and Israel of old trusted in the Lord and that the Lord was faithful to deliver them from their earthly enemies when they cried out to him. That is a familiar and recurring theme throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites of old crying out to their God and their God delivering them. However, don't run away with the idea that Israel of old always trusted in the Lord and that the Lord always delivered them from their enemies. It didn't, it wasn't always like that at all. Don't think that, that God always sprung into action and, and delivered the, the Israelites as soon as they cried out to him. That most certainly was not the case. In fact, time and again, Israel turned her back on God. They worshipped worthless idols instead of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them, not from their enemies, but he delivered them to their enemies because of their, their transgressions against him, because they forsook him, the fount of living water, and they turned to broken cisterns that can hold no water. Nevertheless, God delivered them when they repented. And I want to give you just uh, one 
example of that, I'm going to turn to Judges chapter 6, where we see Israel of old crying out to God, but first of all, they needed to repent of their rebellion against God. Judges chapter 6, verses 6 through to 10. This is in the time of the judges, and Gideon was the judge, or he was um, made judge at that time. Okay, verse 6 of chapter 6. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, not because of sin, but because of the Midianites, their enemies. Verse 8, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. Before I go any further, what do you think the idea, you can almost guess what's going on here. They cry unto the Lord, but the Lord didn't send them a knight in shining armour. He didn't send them uh, a conquering king. He sent them a prophet. Let's see why now. So, the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel in verse 8, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from you, from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Can you see what's going on there? Before... God would even deliver them from the Israel, uh, from the Midianites, but you have not obeyed my voice. There needed to be repentance because, as ever, the Israelites of old, they were turning away from the Lord and turning to worthless idols. Let me just read to you what the Bible commentator Gill said. Uh, concerning those words, but ye have not obeyed my voice. To cleave to them, to fear and to worship him. They had been guilty of idolatry, and this is the sin the prophet was sent to reprove them for and bring them to a sense of. In Psalm 50.15, it is written, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I've heard that um, referred to as the emergency phone number, 5015. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. However, nothing has changed. Do not imagine that you can simply cry out to God as if he is at your beck and call when you are in a spot of bother. If you are not yet trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you too need to repent. Just like the Israelites of old, you need to repent. Cry out to God for mercy because the reality is that far from God delivering you from your earthly foes, his wrath abides on you and hell awaits you. A cry for deliverance from your sin must be your top priority. 
through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn to, I've lost it now, Psalm 22 again. Okay, so that was verse 5. They cried unto thee, and they and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. Verse 6, but I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great I am, Jehovah Jesus. Yet here in verse 6, he described himself as a worm and no man. For our sakes, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels when he came down from his glory into this dark world of sin. Veiled in flesh in order to identify with us, to represent us, to live a perfectly obedient life that we could not live and to die in our place on a cross, bearing away the iniquity of our sin in his own body. Yet, instead of people praising God for all those things, in verse 6, Jesus voiced just how wicked men viewed him, not even as a man, but as a worm, despised and unnoticed by those who tread upon him. Does it not remind you of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3? Another prophecy written about Jesus with the words, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Can you grasp that? The king of glory, who is pure and perfect in all his ways, was and still is despised and rejected of men. And he is regarded as nothing more than a worm, an insignificant worm. I'm talking about the present tense, not just what it it was a thousand years BC, but now Jesus is seen as nothing more than a worm, despised and rejected of men. You may think that that is a gross exaggeration to say that Jesus is considered as a worm. Maybe you sit there and think, well, I've never considered Jesus as a worm. Well, listen to what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament had to say about certain Jewish Christians who forsook Jesus, they were Jewish Christians, they forsook Jesus and returned to their animal sacrifices and their earthly worship. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 through to 31. Listen very carefully to this. Hebrews 10, verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God 
and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that have said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Words like that should make you tremble. The point that I want to bring to you here is that if the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, Jesus, is permanently rejected, whether it be by those Jewish Christians of old that we've just read about, read about in Hebrews chapter 10, whether he's been rejected by them as they've gone back to their redundant religion, or you or anyone else who returns to your former ways and to your own self-righteous endeavours to please God, having turned away from Jesus and the salvation that he brings, you've, you've turned away from him, that is tantamount to treading him underfoot, like a worm. But it's even worse, because when you think about it, most people, not everyone, but most people, would not deliberately tread on a worm. Although it is just a worm, you'd step over it. If you saw the worm, you wouldn't make a point of treading on it. But what I've just read to you in Hebrews chapter 10 is about people who have received a measure of gospel light. They have tasted the Lord Jesus Christ. They've heard the gospel. They've partaken of the blessings of being part of a church. And they've, they've heard the gospel. And still, they've turned away from it all. That is deliberate. You may not deliberately tread on a worm. But when you turn away from the, the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, having received the truth, having heard the truth, as it's written in God's word, you tread the Son of God underfoot. And how did that, that passage end? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As I say, we ought to tremble when we read such verses. And it's no good anyone sitting here in this Grace Baptist Church saying, well, it's by grace we're saved. I know that, but I also know what I've just read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. None of us in here should mess around with God and his word. None of us. However, the contempt of sinful men, women, boys and girls towards the incarnate Son of God is minute compared with the love of God towards all hell-bound sinners who receive Jesus as their saviour from sin and believe on his name. To such people God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Let's move on from verse 7 to verse 8. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. 
let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Sorry, I've, I've missed out verse 7. Verse 7, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head. It's fair to say that pity ought to be shown to those who suffer. And the Lord Jesus Christ suffered way beyond our comprehension. But he received no pity. Instead, he received cruel mockings. And not just from a few, but from many. They laughed me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. There are many examples in the New Testament of that verse being fulfilled. For example, the baying crowd in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39 to 40, we read of them, they, they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the son of God, come down from the cross taunting the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the priests, we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 41, likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. You can almost hear them laughing as they say those words. Even the two dying thieves, one either side of Jesus, mocked, and insulted him. For we read in Matthew chapter 27 verse 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Not forgetting the Roman soldiers, in Mark chapter 15 verse 16 through to 19, it is written, and the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him in purple, and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. A mock worship, of course. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 2, we read of angels covering their faces in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was seated high upon his throne, and his, the train of his robe filled the temple. <coughs> they covered their faces in his presence. Yet here we read about wicked people defiantly and arrogantly making faces before the Lord, poking out their tongues, grinning, shaking their heads and so on. Such was and still is the rebellion and defiance of sinful people against their maker, the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of confessing their sin and crying out for mercy through faith in Jesus, they willfully and they mockingly continue in their sin. Dear Christian, just remember those things next time someone mocks you and insults you or says some nasty words. What do you do when someone mocks you? Do you hide away? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. 
that you have been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name. Rejoice when you suffer the reproach of Christ. What a privilege it is to suffer for him and if it's God's will to die for him. Let's have a look at verse 8, the one I read to you earlier. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Can you detect the mocking there again? Of all the spiteful words spoken spoken by the priests, the soldiers, the crowd and the crucified thieves, those words were truly bitter They were truly deplorable. That verbal attack was not so much aimed at God, but at Jesus, whose faith in his God to deliver him was looked upon as being empty and groundless. The Lord's confidence in his God was in fact well grounded and God did did deliver his son in his own time and in his own way. Even though those words were spoken by wicked men in cruel mockery, they were actually true inasmuch God always did delight in his dear son. Look at the words again there from people mocking him, mocking Jesus. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. God did delight in Jesus. When Jesus was baptised in the river Jordan, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Likewise, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the face of Jesus shone like the sun, and his raiment was as white as light, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And even though there was no voice from heaven when Jesus was lifted up to die at the cross, and people make much of that, the silence when uh, darkness fell upon the land, and so we're told God turned his face from Jesus, and so on. Well, you can be sure that his God, his Father, delighted in him and was well pleased with him as it is written concerning Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 to 9 he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross this is what we're talking about here in Psalm 22 the death of the cross therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word therefore, it's because of the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ in life and in death on the cross. Oh yes, God delighted in his son. There was never, ever 
a time when God did not delight in his son. Never imagine that to be the case. Never ever imagine that there was ever a time when God did did not delight in his beloved son. Again, as it is written in Psalm 45 and verses 6 and 7, it's also written in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. This is God speaking to his son and addressing him as God. You need to read it for yourself. God addressing his son Jesus as God and saying, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. We all need to understand very clearly that God delighted in his son even at the cross and there has never been a time when that was not the case. I know I'm repeating myself but it needs to be repeated. As Spurgeon said, Jehovah delights in him and yet bruises him, is well pleased and yet slays him. Finally, All you who have trusted in Jesus as your saviour, thank God that his beloved son for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and the mocking of wicked men, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God where he ever lives to make intercession for you. Amen.